Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. In the temple, you're going to find all the non-believing Jews, those that, again, had turned against Christ, those that were happy for his crucifixion. And Paul has to go into that arena with these believing Jews and go through these ceremonies. Now, as a side note, I want you to understand that for Paul to go through the ceremony, it really wasn't a compromise for him at all, as much as it was just simply being flexible in, in flexible enough in his life and in his faith so as not to cause any kind of a stumbling block with those that he ministered to. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said he made himself all things to all men in order to spread the gospel. Even so, he still offended plenty. But as Pastor David will point out in today's message, his top priority was spreading the gospel, not refining his own faith experience. He found freedom in Christ that many couldn't understand, but instead of simply enjoying that freedom for his own comfort or enjoyment, He was willing to abstain or hold himself back if it helped him share Christ with someone. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 21 as he continues his message, A Divided Grace. Today we're actually looking at what I look at as kind of part two of last week's message. We're looking actually at the same area of scripture there in Acts chapter 21. That's where we are at this morning. We are looking at, uh, even as I uh, shared last week, the idea and the thought of a divided grace. And you'll understand that a little bit better as we get into the message this morning. But again, it's in Acts chapter 21. Last week, we talked about the fact that the church there in Jerusalem, that there was an issue that was going on. Again, the church is now some 20 years old since the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. Uh, we found out last week that James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, is there in Jerusalem, kind of head over the church as well as the elders. Uh, a lot of different things that are going on uh, that, that we're going to look at some today, the, the battle that's raging there. One of the things that we do see is that within Jerusalem, because again of the mass population of the Jews there in Jerusalem, when the Jews came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they were still being pulled back into this lure of tradition this, and, and even the bondage of keeping the law. Uh, some never left that idea uh, again of tradition and the law, and some felt uh, called to, you know, in, in, in their own minds, their own hearts, to be pulled back into that kind of an obligation to return to tradition and return to the law. They had grown up with the law. They were comfortable with the community of even the non-believing Jews because they all dressed alike, they talked alike, they ate the same thing, they 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 did everything alike. That's 
the way the Jewish community was, and they were comfortable with that, and so they went back to that. Their family, their friends, their coworkers, their neighbors, their community was Jewish. So when they came to a saving knowledge of Christ, they had Christ plus all of the tradition and all of the laws of Judaism. That's why, as we looked last week, when the elders there at Jerusalem had told Paul as he had come back from ministering to the Gentiles, they shared with him that, again, how many myriads of Jews, literally tens of thousands of Jews, had come to a saving faith. They had believed in Jesus Christ, but yet they were still all zealous for the law. And that's actually the, the, the very same battle that, that Paul had already dealt with as Judaizers, and we'll look at that term in a moment, Judaizers had come behind him, even in his missionary journeys, trying to bring these Gentiles, again, into Judaism in order to have a complete salvation, according to these who were Jews and yet had come to faith in Christ. They called Judaizers because they felt that you and I as Gentiles needed to follow the custom and traditions of the Jew in order to be complete in our Christianity. So that's the battle that Paul faced many places uh, as he went. As a matter of fact, he wrote to the church of Galatia. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. It's just one thing I want to know. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And I love how direct Paul is. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit are now being made perfect by the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of of Abraham. See, this was a continual battle that Paul was facing. He even wrote to Titus, Titus again, a, 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 a young pastor along the lines of young Timothy, but in the book, uh, the letter to Titus in chapter three, Paul writes to him. He says, it's when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's been according to his mercy that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy. In other words, it's not by works of the law that, that, that anyone can become righteous. We, we can never measure up. We can never do it well enough. We can never do it completely enough. It's not by works of righteousness that we come to a saving knowledge, nor that we maintain a, our, our, our salvation in Christ. It is, again, a life of faith. And through, again, the words that, that Paul wrote, 
He's trying to help the, the, the Jewish believer as well as the Gentile believer who's being swayed by these Judaizers. He's trying to help them understand that this life of faith is over the works of law. The life of faith is what really attains and maintains our salvation. He, uh, difficult for the Jew to understand. And even for these believing Jews who had, again, they, they had the, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit within them, but yet they're still being drawn back to this tradition, still being drawn back to the law. Some of these Jewish brothers, again, they, they, they had heard or they had assumed that Paul had totally abandoned the law and that he was encouraging others to do so. The church leadership at Jerusalem uh, tells Paul that, that many of these Jewish believers, they, they, they were so zealous for the law. And if you're in the book of Acts chapter 21, let's pick up where we were last week, verse 21, as they share with Paul that these Jewish believers who are zealous for the law, they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Well, this was actually totally untrue. That's not what Paul was doing. Uh, but it has caused this great concern for these believing Jews in Jerusalem, those that were zealous for the law. These guys, and the, the, the believing Jews were actually pretty tame as compared to those Jews who had not come to, to believe in Christ. Because when they heard that Paul had been out with the Gentiles, I mean, they totally went off, uh, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But for now, the, the church leadership in Jerusalem, we're going to find that they're going to try to appease the believing Jews, uh, this, these ones who are zealous for the law. They're going to try to appease them by having Paul walk through a purification ceremony with some other believing Jews from the church. And of course, that ceremony is going to have to take place there in the temple, there in Jerusalem. And in the temple, you're going to find all the non-believing Jews, those that, again, had turned against Christ, those that were happy for his crucifixion. And Paul has to go into that arena with these believing Jews and go through these ceremonies. Now, as a side note, I want you to understand that for Paul to go through this ceremony, it really wasn't a compromise for him at all, as much as it was just simply being flexible, in, in, uh, flexible enough in his life and in his faith so as not to cause any kind of a stumbling block with those that he ministered to. Uh, once again, we, we see Paul had written uh, to the church in Corinth, and to the church in Corinth, he helped them to understand that although I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant of all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. He continues on, he says, and to the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. So let's really look at what they're asking Paul to do here. Back in Acts 21, verse 23. 
these elders, James and these elders come to Paul and say, so, therefore, do what we tell you. Even right there, it's kind of scary, but uh, especially when we look at what's going to happen here. Do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they are informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Verse 25, he says, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing. Now, if you if you write in your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, if you circle things, highlight things, point arrows, you can circle, highlight, and point an arrow at that little phrase right there that says, they should observe no such thing. It's going to come out in a moment uh, why that is so important. And if you don't write in your Bibles, then just lean over and write in the person next to you Bible. Okay, so they'll have it. He says, they should do no such, or observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, it's interesting here that the leadership brought back to mind the, the decision of the church council that we read back in Acts chapter 15, which had happened a few years prior to this time. There in Acts chapter 15, once again, Luke writing, very close in chapter 15, what the leadership is telling Paul right here in uh, Acts chapter 21. In Acts 15, we find the church leadership writing a letter to the Gentile church saying, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you obtain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Again, these are the exact same words that the uh, church is telling Paul in reference to the Gentile church in 21. But here, church, this, this I think, I, I, this is what really concerns me. This is what I see, this is what I call a divided grace. A divided grace. What the believing Jewish leadership are telling the Gentiles is one thing. But when they themselves and the other believing Jews in and around Jerusalem, they're still living very much according to the traditions of the law and uh, the, the customs of the Jews. No wonder there's so much confusion because even the leadership within the church of Jerusalem is not really fully completely leading these believing Jews into the freedom beyond the custom traditions and the laws. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, man, I wish we were just like the first century church. The problem is the first century church was messed up too. You know how I know that? It was made up of people just like you and me. And the problems that we have today is probably not a whole lot different than the problems they had then. And can situations be uh, uh, happening in the first century church that are incorrect? 
Oh yeah, that's why we have all the epistles. That's why we have all the writings, uh, the, the book of James, the writings of Peter, the writings of John, the writings of Paul himself. Again, bringing correction to those first century churches. And I look here right now, what I see is this divided grace. Hey, for you Gentiles, hey, just a few things, you're fine. You're covered by grace. But for the believing Jews, it seems to be a whole different story. You see, here's the problem. If the simplicity of grace through faith was good enough for the Gentiles, why wasn't it good enough for the Jewish believers? What's going on in Jerusalem has this built-in double standard. And that double standard actually continues to give strength to those guys that we've called, the, that we know as the Judaizers. They, they have that, that, that zealousness for the law as believing Jews, and they're actually trying to get the Gentiles to follow after that. And in essence, what they're telling these Gentile believers is that their salvation and their walk in Christ is actually substandard to what they need to do. No wonder there were issues going on. To these Judaizers, their tradition, their custom, their laws... And the, uh, again, apparently not a real clear standard set there in Jerusalem. Well, it gives them this boldness to try and convert these Gentiles to Judaism first in order that they might have a more complete Christian experience. But you know what? Question is, is grace truly grace? Or does one have to earn it by keeping the law? Or even better than that, do you have to maintain your salvation by keeping the law? You see, that's an issue that we still deal with today. Is grace truly grace? Do I receive grace because I've deserved it? Or do I receive grace in spite of me? The latter is what the word of God declares. That in spite of my life, in spite of, again, all the issues of my life, God in his love for me while I was a sinner loved me enough to extend to me the gift of salvation. That is grace, church. When we receive that, we receive that with full understanding that we are unworthy, that we could never be worthy. We could never rise up to a standard to be worthy. And yet God in his love offers it through Christ for us. But after we receive that grace, that's when we need to keep the law, right? Do you realize that many within the church believe that? Because for them, grace isn't really grace. Grace is only a beginning. But guys, if grace is not complete, complete in Christ, then it's not truly grace. Does any wonder why, why Paul was so adamant when he writes to the Ephesians? Very familiar verse to many of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through the law? No, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, uh, someone reminded me last night, well, don't, don't forget verse 10 in that, you know, we, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Yes, we are called to live a life that glorifies Christ. And we'll get into that in a moment. 
But the fact is, is that's not to maintain our salvation. That's not to gain our salvation. That is because we are saved, that we live a life that glorifies Christ. We are saved and we are maintained in our salvation by the grace of God, period. Period. And beyond that, we then began to pervert the reality and the truth and the depth of what grace is all about. Well, that's one problem that's going on here. The other problem is in the midst of this ceremony that, that Paul's about to go through. You and I need to be really clear here. Uh, the, the ceremony that Paul was about to go through with these four men, it's not a salvation issue at all, but it is a tradition issue for the Jews. As a matter of fact, uh, it's spoken about uh, back in the book of Numbers. Paul fully understood he's no longer under the law, but he was willing to go through this, again, as he had told the Corinthians, I become a Jew in order not to be a stumbling block, in order that I might minister to the Jews. So Paul's willing to go through this ceremony so as not to be a stumbling block. He knew the truth of grace was found in the walk of faith and not in the fulfillment of the law. And according to many scholars, it's believed that these four men that he's going with for this uh, ceremony, a Jewish uh, purity or piety ceremony, is actually the, the Nazarite vow that these men had taken. Again, for the Nazarite, during the time that you are under that vow, there's no consuming of wine or even grapes, no cutting of your hair, no contact with any dead things, and a few other laws. The shortest time frame you could do the Nazarite vow was 30 days. We don't know how long these guys have been doing the vow, but now it's time to come to an end of their commitment. The completion of the Nazarite vow call for a cutting of the hair. Part of that then, they would burn that hair during the ceremony. And according to number six, there were some other things that they need to do. Some sacrifices were involved. They had to bring a male and a female lamb. They had to bring a ram. They had to bring cereal and drink offerings, several different things. Most likely, the expense of all those sacrifices is what Paul was asked to pay for these four men. Now, there's absolutely no doubt that all of this was done as a compromise. It was done as a compromise to show the believing Jews, those that were so zealous for the law, that Paul had not fully abandoned the law. It was a compromise by the leadership of the church. In addition, this was also an apparent attempt by the leadership of the church to maintain a witness to the Jews there in, the, in Jerusalem and in the area. The days of purification, we, we see this here in Acts 21, verses 26 and 27. Again, most likely the days of Paul's purification, he had been out hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles. You know, before you go into the temple, you got to get purified. So there's a whole ceremony for that purification that Paul had to go through. So let's pick it up in verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews of Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and laid hands on him, laid hands on Paul, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed and the people ran together and they seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors of the temple were shut. So now Paul is stuck in a very, very dangerous situation. The process of this compromise 
we soon find out that compromise does not work. We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make a small-